biggest games. The biggest events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it would be the best job in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. My name is Jacob Wolf, and Rachel is out this week. I am back in Connecticut. I know the last time you all have heard me, I was in Austin, Texas. And speaking of, we've had some very good podcasts from across the road. I was at South by Southwest, and I interviewed the likes of Nate Nancer, the commissioner of the Overwatch League, Raul Sood, the CEO of Unicorn, and Sam Matthews, the Fanatic founder. And also, Ahmad Khan, our colleague, is out at the Games Development Conference this this week in San Francisco. And he's getting interviews from people from AnyKey and people from Miami University and others. And it's really just, I'm very happy that we have a lot of different event content. And so they're all on demand. You can go find them. So if you're listening to this podcast with Jat and you have other interests, whether it be Overwatch or gambling or uh, EU LCS, Really, you've got everything right now. We've got a very nice palette this week for you to digest. So go back in our feed. You can find it the same place you found this podcast, and go back and listen. So today, we have Joshua Jap Leesman, the North American League Championship Series analyst and commentator. Jad is a former player of League of Legends. He is probably one of the biggest personalities in all of League of Legends, particularly in North America, where he works and where he has worked. With Jet, we discussed his transition into full-time on the analyst desk, what he's seen changed with Riot Games production and has its professionalized and hired more staff. And then also we talk about the nitty-gritty of the North American LCS and where it stands because playoffs start on Saturday. So if you want to hear that, stick around and we will be here with Joshua Jet Leesman. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. Gamers like to customize everything, from their gaming rig all the way down to the way their characters look. And now Schick has developed a way for them to customize their shave, too. Introducing new Schick Hydro 5 Sense razors and refills. Equipped with innovative shock-absorbed technology, the razor auto-adjusts based on how you shave, backing off or adding pressure when needed. Three custom gel formula refill cartridges enable you to further personalize your shave. They're available in Hydrate Gel with coconut oil to hydrate throughout each shave, Comfort Gel with herbal extracts to comfort skin, and Energize Gel with menthol to wake up tired-looking skin. I personally have been using the Hydrate Gel. They sent me out a copy of it, and it's just really nice. I really feel like I get a really good shave. You know, I don't miss that little in particular stubble that shows up, like, around your lymph nodes. It's really just great. I get a really nice shave. So I definitely would recommend the Schick Hydro 5 Cents brand. So to customize your shave with new Schick Hydro 5 Cents, available now at Walmart for an everyday low price. For more savings, visit Schick.com. So we're here with Joshua Jat Leesman, the analyst. Is that your proper title now for the North American LCS? Yeah, I guess. I think I still say shoutcaster on my social media and stuff, but I talk about the games. So you made that switch this year to go from like actively on the commentating desk to more so on the analyst desk more than anything. What has that transition been like for you? It's actually been pretty fun. I mean, at least for our casters in League of Legends, a lot of times any of the analyst casters would kind of switch between either being a color commentator on the game or just being an analyst on a desk. And whenever I looked at traditional sports models, like if I watched TNT's coverage of the NBA, there was always kind of the set cast on inside the NBA and their pregame and halftime shows. And then they had their set casters for the games as well. And I thought that gave them a good level of consistency and allowed them to get a lot better chemistry with each other. So we had the staff to be able to do it this year because we have 
a lot of really good color commentators, and I wanted to try and do desk full time. So I talked to the producers about it. They agreed that it would be a good idea, and we, we started doing it. You've been there kind of since like the beginning of the North American LCS, and you were involved in League of Legends even before that as a commentator. Obviously, you go back to being a player as well. What has it been like kind of seeing this professionalize more and, and be on set and the NALCS has grown and hired more people in similar positions to you? What has that been like over the last year or so? It's been really cool. I mean, I think about it as being over the last five years or so because we started the NALCS back in 2013 and we're now in our sixth season, sixth year of doing it. So when I first became full-time esports, I think the esports team at Riot was like 12 people. Uh, Now it's much, much bigger than that. So it's just been really fun. Like I realized that I've gotten a lot better at what I've been doing through a lot of reps. We brought in a lot of really good people from sports and also people that hadn't worked in sports before, but were super passionate and skilled at this stuff. So it's mainly just been really fun to see it grow from something that you never really considered would even be a career to something that absolutely is a viable career. And then you look at the pro players and the pro scene and the franchises and the businesses behind them. And those are all really legit now. Whereas six years ago, I couldn't say that. What has been the biggest transition for you and difference between being on the analyst desk full time and being a commentator who also does analyst desk segments? Uh, I think just the raw amount of time that I'm needing to be engaged in the games. Uh, We also added an LCS countdown, which is a 30 minute pre-show. And in itself, that could be kind of what you do in a day. There there was one night um, from a Saturday night show to a Sunday night show. We had, two pretty heavy prep segments that Mark and I had to do. We both had to do a tier list uh, for, I think it was top lane or something, one of the five roles. That takes several hours to make sure you're getting proper. And then we had to do a dueling draft segment where each Mark and I try and pick a team, and then we try and draft as if we were that team. And that takes several hours to prep as well. So that Saturday was essentially me showing up for the show uh, at like 8 or 10 o'clock for rehearsal because we start at 2 p.m. on Saturdays doing the whole show, doing the story meeting, being done around nine, going home and then doing three hours of prep, going to sleep, waking up, and then doing the whole show the next day. So I think the the volume of work was actually a little bit higher than I expected to really deliver a high-quality analyst product because we talk about every single matchup every single day in either the pre or the post game. And as a caster, especially last split when, when we were doing best of threes, even though I'm obviously keeping up with all 10 teams in the North American LCS, on a day, I would cast two teams. So I would make sure I was really up to date on those two teams. But when I'm on the desk all the time, I'm making sure I'm really up to date on all 10 teams that day. So I can't really fall behind on any of that prep. You mentioned Turner and Inside the NBA. What is the biggest inspiration for you as you've uh, grown better as a caster and a commentator and an analyst? Uh, I'd say one of the things that I try to take the most from those guys is how well they are an entertainment product as well as an analysis product. And that's what I've been focusing on this year is trying to be, you know, more engaging, more entertaining. And then just because of that, people will then hopefully pay more attention to you and actually listen to the smart things you're saying. Because six years ago, I felt like I knew everything about the game because I was just off of being a pro player. I'd always had a really analytical look at the game and I was just all information all the time, but your delivery matters a bunch. 
And whatever I watch inside the NBA, like Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Shaq and Kenny, like, or, and the host, like everyone is so entertaining uh, when you're watching that show. They can go for four minutes and barely talk about basketball, but you're, you're with them the whole time. So when they really do start talking about it with Kenny's pictures or one of their analysis-driven segments, you're already really engaged. And I think that's a really important thing that a lot of uh, my past casting hasn't incorporated. One of the uh, funny entertainment segments, I would say, of the NALCS this year was the dogs. Uh, how did that come to be? <laughs> and uh, did your dog actually end up with a better prediction record than you? Ooh, I need to, I need to check. I think my dog Kubo beat me by a single game. So essentially last year when we were in China for Worlds, before the games in-house for the show, so essentially the live crowd there, there was uh, one of the LPL teams had a team dog and they would cut together this like 30 second video of him picking games. And I thought it was hilarious. So both freak and I actually had the same idea of why don't we just copy this and do it with our dogs? Um, so we've both been having our dogs predict games all year. And instead of predicting every game, which would get a little tedious, we try and pick out whatever we think the most competitive matchup of the day will be. So like the hardest one to predict and then just having the dogs do it and then tracking specifically in those games uh, what my predictions were. And in specifically the games that we picked, since they were often like really close, I think I ended the season, I think I ended the season nine and nine, and I think my dog was 10 and eight. So he was, he was a little better than me in those. But I will say in the total predictions where you're predicting every single game, uh, I did beat Mark this year. So at least I can say I didn't only lose. So I, I lost my dog, but I beat Mark. So that's good. Your dog must have picked up uh, some notes from st- living in the house with you and, and hearing everything you have to say about League of Legends. Yeah, that's that's the hope when I talk about it and prep all, all night long. So let's talk about a little bit about this North American LCS split. Obviously, things turned over a lot when Riot decided that they were going to franchise and they brought in new teams. We obviously saw yep. some people come from across the pond, both from Korea and from Europe, that came into the league for the first time. What are your overall thoughts of how the split went and the changes that we saw from franchising and how they impacted competitive play? Yeah, so this was uh, this is something I kind of thought about um I think I was listening to Daryl Morey on a podcast. who's the GM of the Houston Rockets and also technically is, I think, the boss of Sebastian Park, who runs Clutch Gaming, who's a North American LCS team. And he was mentioning how, at first, uh, when you add more good owners and good orgs into an ecosystem, it actually becomes much harder for the existing orgs to succeed. So it doesn't necessarily mean up front that everyone is stronger. And I think in this offseason, when we got a bunch of new orgs coming in, and even looking at a team like 100 Thieves, uh, which signed Aframu, who is kind of a perennial, one of the best supports in the league. They brought in Someday, who was one of the best Korean top laners in the world. Uh, and then they filled out the team with, like, Prawley, who is one of the best European LCS coaches, Medios, who's been one of the best junglers that we've seen in the North American LCS, Cody Sun, who was on the second place NALCS team. Like, they took in a sense, a lot of talent that otherwise could have been concentrated on one of the other teams and just made a whole new team out of it where the previous team in that spot really didn't have that much talent. So I think what ended up happening is we got a very close season because you had the endemic teams that had been doing well for so long, like Team Solo Mid and Cloud9, uh, that were still good. But then we saw the new money coming in 
with the new organizations that were better than the previous organizations we have. And they were almost, some of them were competitive from day one. So Clutch Gaming, who is the Houston Rockets team I just talked about, 100 Thieves were two of the new organizations that in their first split made playoffs. So that's top six teams. And I thought that the fact that we also had best of ones instead of best of threes, which made games a little bit more volatile, and the fact that we had the new orgs in here competing at a high level by bringing in really good rosters, really good staffs, really good training facilities and stuff, made it a very close split. I wouldn't necessarily say that it was like, and that means we're going to send the best team that we've ever sent to international competition because I don't think that's happened yet. I just think that within the North American LCS, it got a lot more fierce. So that's interesting to me, right, is that we have all of these people yeah. who have never participated in eSports coming in and trying to build teams. Uh, some of them have done better than others, as we saw, obviously, two of the new franchises being bottom of the barrel and two of them obviously making playoffs. And yep. you see that in the way I think their staff is reflected. The, the staff of the two top teams, Clutch and, and 100 Thieves, are people who have had success in, in previous esports. You mentioned probably Sebastian was obviously involved in Archon and some of these other things, and mm-hmm. I think he's pretty well-versed. Did you expect that? Did you expect these organizations, when you first heard that they got accepted, to really do their homework and, and uh, come out with stronger lineups than I think most of us expected? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this as well because you're you're really into the business side of esports, and you'll know kind of like um, I know you leak pretty much every contract that gets signed in League of Legends, so you know what the perils of these teams are probably. But uh, when I first heard actually about the Cleveland Cavaliers getting Nate Shot to run their League of Legends organization, uh, I was not sold. <laughs> like I had just it's like what you're just going to get a Call of Duty player to come run some esports organization like that team's going to be last place like that, that was my very first impression uh when i heard that news but then uh when i saw some of the content they were going to be able to put out when i talked to him when i saw the people he was bringing in to help him like when he first brought in Prawley from the european lcs to essentially help build the team and how he wasn't trying to come into the space as like i know esports i played call of duty he was more i know that i need to get people that know more about this than i do and then i can help them with my previous esports experience, that was the most surprising team to me. The fact that by the end of the regular season, they actually finished first because they had tied with Echo Fox for best regular season record by a game. And then they won the tiebreaker against them. That was what impressed me the most is how quickly they put together a team of experienced league of legends personalities and were able to win that, that I didn't expect. Yeah. I'll be honest. Like, when Immortals and Energy came in at the end of 2015, and obviously I, I think Immortals more than anyone inflated the salaries of what the league looked like. Mm-hmm. I think we have seen over the last three years what pay in esports looks like and how it compares to really just traditional sports in general. And I, I would say traditional sports is one of the most highest paid professions in the world. And I think yep. esports is finally going that way as well. I think it's going to get up there very quickly in terms of averages. But honestly, I... From everything I know, I don't even think that the the highest salaried team is actually one of the non-endemics. I think it's Team Liquid, and I right. they are the first person to ever sign a player for more than a million dollars a year, which is just insane okay. to me. Um, yeah, and truly, do you know if like Faker makes that, or if any of the LPL teams? Are you talking strictly NALCS teams? Strictly in NALCS. So, um, okay. I I mean, there was obviously like rumors of of what Faker was making. I think the rumor was two point five million, and I'm not a Korean journalist, so getting that confirmed directly right. from someone at SKT is, is a little difficult. Hard, yeah, exactly. 
but uh, definitely impact is is making more than a million dollars a year in total, and his deal's a three year deal, so <laughs> it's it's a three million dollar plus deal. And That's uh, crazy. yeah, it's nuts to me, right? And so I I don't don't know because I know some of the liquid players are making a little bit less because uh, they bought the contracts from Immortals, and some of those players. Mm-hmm. Uh, People like Smithy, his contract, I believe, has been resold twice now. So it was a CLG contract that was sold to Immortals, a Immortals contract that was sold to Liquid. And it's literally just the same thing from which it was, unless they redid it. It's the same thing he was making when he was on CLG, which was much lower than what he would be making on a Liquid team. There's a chance that they redid that. So I don't know if, like, the actual balance is that Liquid's the most expensive team. They definitely, on this offseason, though, when they went out and acquired and redid new contracts, Double Lift, Ole, and Impact were the ones that they did fresh. With no yeah. history, Pobelter and Smithy were the ones they acquired. Uh, those are definitely some of the highest contracts in the league, and I think the Impact one is definitely the highest overall. When you look at last season, last season was Looper was the highest contract in the league, and he was seven hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars a year. And uh, Echo Fox, right. I would say, last year was was responsible for most of the player inflation that we saw in terms of salaries, with Immortals being the year prior. Um, I certainly think that this uh, the ecosystem is is rising as a tide. And I do think that you're correct in the assumption when you talk to Nate Shot and you heard about some of the people he's bringing in, some of these people are a lot more selfless than others, and they don't want mm-hmm. it to be about them and all their glory, right? So, like, Sebastian Park yeah. and the Rockets were, like, hiring people like Shakarez and others, like, six months before Riot even told them if they were in the league or not. Like, they were putting yeah. together boards on, like, different softwares of, like, here's who we think we should get. And if you've ever heard him talk about this, he's, like, talking about, like, Faker was our number one, like, on the board, obviously. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I don't think I don't think he really expected to get Faker. But if you're just putting together a raw board of the hundreds of players that play League of Legends around the world, Faker mm-hmm. should be at the top of that. Um, yeah, cool. But I think when, like, I think it's really interesting for some of these non-endemics because I think some of them don't necessarily understand what they're getting themselves into. Um, I think that the, I mean, the Warriors have been looking for a head of esports to do both their 2K League and their League of Legends stuff for quite a while, uh, and mm-hmm. with the assumption that they would get into League of Legends. And obviously, they got Hunter Lay, who used to work at Riot himself. But I don't yep. know what Hunter's like background in player management is. It's something he's never done. Like he worked at Gamespot and uh, on Gamers, mm-hmm. and then he worked at Yahoo, and he worked at Riot as well. But player management is a whole different like s- subsection. So I think. Some of these people just see esports and they go, "We need someone that needs that knows esports," but they don't necessarily go, "We need someone who knows League of Legends." And I think that was the difference between Clutch and 100 Thieves because they realized that they knew esports, but they didn't have people that knew League of Legends, so they went and hired those people. I think that's the biggest yeah. difference when you look at at that versus what Optic and the Guardians did. That's true. That's interesting too because I mean, I got to talk to Romain, uh, the Optic GM, at the start of the year who was essentially tasked with putting together the League of Legends organization. And he got Zabutin as a coach who never coached before, but he was a French caster, so he was pretty informed in the space. And he was saying that putting together these rosters was this really difficult, fun puzzle. Because not only do you have a bunch of free agents, you also kind of have these two import slots that everyone in North America tries to work around. Um, and you're trying to find like the best use of those slots while still being able to fill out the rest of your roster with domestic players. And even though when I talked to him at the start of the year, he was hyped up on the potential of Zig and how Lemonation was really going to need to prove himself this split and was really motivated since it was the first split he was playing against high. Like to me, that team actually has a really solid core. Like Romain had worked in player management before. I think Power of Evil and Arrow have been super good players. I think Acadian played well, but they had the weakest top lane in the 
by far in the North American LCS, whether it was Zig or Dokla, their stats are just way below everyone else. And then I thought Lemonation didn't pair well with Arrow as far as what they needed. Uh, Arrow's not the strongest leaning AD carry, but he's great in team fights. And Lemonation is also more of a macro player and it's weak in lane. So their lane just got smashed every single game. And then it didn't matter how good their strategy was afterwards. So like that team, I think, could turn it around. And, you know, we've had years in the NALCS before, too, where we had a 1-17 in team or right. a team that we never thought was going to win. And, I mean, Golden Guardians, didn't they take a game off Echo Fox? Like, they beat some of the real and teams. TSM, I believe, right? They, they were definitely, like, they beat some of the best teams in the league. Exactly. Even though they only had four wins, their wins were actually against some of the big teams. So uh, I'm, not, I'm actually not willing to call any of these orgs dead from day one, but I, I agree with you that Clutch and 100 Thieves definitely found that formula and put together that puzzle uh, faster and more efficiently than Golden Guardians and Optic. And, I, and some of it does happen with how early on they started building and who they picked right at the start. So Yeah, and I mean, I think people like Liquid kind of like took down the market too pretty quickly in free agency. I remember that week I, I went to Thanksgiving and was going to spend time with family. And before I left, I remember I was at Red Bull Battlegrounds in Boston. And I remember just <laughs> Sunday, I could not leave the press room at Red Bull Battlegrounds battlegrounds because it was literally call after call like optic hires romaine officially now because they're accepted hundred thieves hires probably golden guardians hires loco and like it was all in one day and like everyone went after <laughs> after went after these coaches but the friday prior actually is when if i remember correctly riot opened this window that all the teams that were getting kicked out of the league so immortals uh dignitas envy etc uh they could mm-hmm. sell their contracts to other teams ahead of time and you had, right. and that was what entitled you to that exit payment pool. I think Immortals was like one point eight million, somewhere around there. I have the math somewhere. Um, but okay. so you could sell these contracts early, and Immortals wanted to be out of there as quickly as possible. FlyQuest had essentially hired some of the management away from Immortals, like Nick Fan and Lufty, and some of these other folks that went over to work mm-hmm. for FlyQuest. Um, and so they had already kind of spoken for Anda, who was had an outstanding contract that lasted past 2017. But Immortals yeah. wanted to get rid of these contracts as soon as possible and just disassociate themselves with League of Legends after getting removed. And so they they wanted to sell as a package, and really only one person was able to take on that financial liability at the time, and that was Steve and Team Liquid. Mm-hmm. And so they bought all these players. If you remember, they had Cody Sun on contract. Yeah, they had like 10 so, players on the roster. I know. They just had a bunch of people, that, and they could just resell them. Like, they resold Cody. Uh, who else did they resell from that team? Um, they resold Piglet, uh, I believe. Or no, they cut Piglet. And then they like they just had a bunch of players that they didn't need anything to do with. And so they just like resold everyone. And um, yeah. they kept the best of what of what they had. But like that was that was like the Friday slash Saturday of of uh, Friday Saturday before anyone on Monday and Tuesday could actually start signing free agency contracts that Riot would approve. So like. Liquid already had basically two League of Legends teams before the rest of the league even had a team themselves. Mm-hmm. And then I also look at uh, TSM, who started the split really rough, needed to make, I think needed to make changes after failing to make other groups at Worlds. Again, even if they, I think they could have kept the same roster from last year and probably won an A again and actually been fine. Uh, but they decided to do the big mix-up because they wanted to do stuff. And they were actually... Um, I know Reggie at some point said he doubled the team's budget, but when they brought in Sven and Missy, who was the big European bottom lane from G2, who had won three straight splits, I believe, 
uh, in the European LCS, even though G2 had won four. Like, you look at the other rosters, they're pretty much the only team that could actually bring in that duo because everyone else is using an import slot on a jungler, a mid laner, or a top laner, aside from Golden Guardians. So I thought that I thought that was interesting how TSM kind of took that bet when they when they didn't really have to from a winning perspective, um, and even from a branding perspective. And it uh, didn't look like it was paying off early in the season, but now as we move towards playoffs, I think they look actually really good. So I want to see how that plays out. Like Wicked too, that was a that was another deal that was essentially done way before anyone could move because uh, they, mm-hmm. when both of those teams got eliminated from Worlds, I believe before quarterfinals in the second part of groups, they essentially like TSM was given permission to start negotiating with Funimithi, and uh, that was way before ahead of time. Obviously, you can't sign something mm-hmm. until that that opening period, which I believe was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. But they they already started talking to them with no poaching issues because. It was agreed upon by both parties, and by the time like that Tuesday rolled around, it was like, okay, let's sign these deals and get them done. Like they they were all they were essentially done without a verbal agreement, and everybody had an understanding right. of what was going on way before that happened, and so that was like a month ahead. So I feel like that was, and we're talking about the uh, like advantages of the endemic and the non endemic teams. I feel like the endemic teams knowing these people in the industry and already being right. connected about trying to do all these contract acquisitions, like. They could have started and going ahead and doing that way before everyone else mm-hmm. did. That was their advantage. Yeah, which that makes it all the more impressive that Hundred Thieves finished first in the regular season. Exactly, because uh, Afrimu actually wasn't like a done deal. That he was the last. Him and Cody were like the last two deals out of all free agency. Actually, uh, Afro had like an outstanding offer. I remember we reported this. Like he wasn't going to resign with CLG, but he had an offer from them to go back. At one point, they just decided to give up and trade for Biofrost anyway, or trade money for Biofrost mm-hmm. to TSM, and. Uh, he was sitting there and like couldn't get a contract. He tried to get one from Echovox. He wanted to go to Liquid at one point, and then obviously a hundred thieves was like literally the only destination. It was that or sit out. And um, wow. yeah, and then Cody was literally the last sold contract. Like Liquid took forever to get that deal done. It was basically agreed to, but nobody could figure out the the monetary part of it until way late in the game. So like everyone, everyone was just like sitting on their hands waiting for a hundred thieves and Liquid to figure out like how we how they sell him <laughs> and for what types of money and like. Yeah, I mean, they were kind of quick, I think. PoE uh, was the second part. They had uh, Someday and Era, though, fairly quickly, if I remember correctly. I think it was on the Wednesday, because uh, that was the day mm-hmm. I was flying, and I remember writing about Arrow on a plane. Um, <laughs> uh, it's Yeah, it was certainly an interesting situation. It does make Honor Thieves yeah. more impressive. I agree. Yeah, crazy season. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have more with Jet, and this time we'll talk about playoffs and everything else that is to come this year. So stay tuned. Before we get back to our conversation with Jet, I wanted to give you a call to action to check out our feed and also leave us a review. We recently got put on Spotify, so if you're listening on web and you listen to Spotify in the car or if you listen to it, really just whenever at the gym, you can make sure to subscribe to us on Spotify. As always, we're on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher. You can find us all there and in the ESPN app if you're a frequent ESPN app user. So subscribe to the ESPN eSports podcast. Feel free to send us reviews, whether that be on Twitter or iTunes. We really, really appreciate it. And now back to our conversation with Joshua Jatt Leesman. So we mentioned kind of briefly in the first part of the podcast about some of the teams that were at playoffs. So to break down our playoff contenders, we have Echo Fox, TSM, Cloud9, Team Liquid, 100 Thieves, and Clutch Gaming. Out of all those teams, who do you think has the best chance to actually win this? I'm thinking, if I had to predict now, 
the finals will be between 100 Thieves and TSM. And this was a really weird season to track because in the final day of the regular season, it was possible that we would have had a five-way tie for second with first place only being one game ahead. And what ended up happening is we had a two-way tie for first and then a four-way tie for third. And they were all within one game of each other. So from regular season performance, six teams were pretty much the same because you can win or lose one game off of a bad draft or a bad objective steal or one bad decision. And that would actually be the difference between being like a sixth place team and a first place team going into playoffs. So the seeds don't actually matter that much. Um, what I think does matter though, is how well the team performed in the second half of the season. So we have 10 teams in the league. Everyone plays an 18 game schedule, which means they play everybody once and then they play everybody again. It's a double round Robin. And a team like 100 Thieves went 8-1 and one in the second half. And TSM went 7-2 and two in the second half, which are the two best second half records uh, of those teams. And everyone else there had kind of better starts to the season and then weaker finishes. And the weakest finish is actually between Echo Fox and Cloud9, um, who, if you would have asked me this nine games in, I actually would think that Echo Fox and Cloud9 would probably have been in the finals, but uh, they kind of fell apart down the stretch. Personnel issues, it feels like, a little bit for Echo Fox as they've been trying to sub out some people and their chemistry that kind of magically worked in the first half of the split fell apart, even though they're still really good players. And when I look at Cloud9, is their rookie top laner in Licorice. They were working with him so well at the start of the year, and then towards the end of the year, uh, it didn't feel like they could be on the same page as him as his champion pool changed and the the comps Cloud9 had to play would be different. So uh, definitely TSM on 100 Thieves as the biggest contenders because of how well they played in the second half. So that's really interesting to me. I When I initially heard the Echo Fox roster, the core, before they had finished up Hooney, and even Hooney is included in this opinion of mine, is I think that yeah. all those players, they have had past behavioral issues of some form, and that makes it very difficult for them, I thought, to mesh, particularly when times get tough. Because all it takes is mm-hmm. one blow up, and then everyone that has these behavior issues just makes it worse. And we saw at the beginning of the season, everything was smooth. Like, they didn't lose a mm-hmm. game uh, to start it off. They did fairly well. And by the time we got to the second part of that season, though, I agree, they looked like they were vulnerable. And they looked like they were missing in certain parts that they weren't in the first half of the season. And maybe that's a lot of meta stuff as well. Maybe there were other yeah. changes in game that changed the way they play. But I think more than anything, like it's just really hard for that team to to make sure they mesh on all fronts, both in game and out. Do you think that when I, we see them in a series, do you think that that is a factor? The fact that like maybe they lose a game kind of unexpectedly in a series and it just crumbles from there? So I don't I, – I think that's definitely a possibility that they would lose a, a game bad and, and not be able to recover. But I am wondering if we're going to get uh, – I'm not willing to count them out yet because, as you say, I think everyone was saying this at the start of the year, is that the history of the players on this team, it was like a bomb. Like you're just waiting for something to go wrong, and then everything would fall apart. And because everyone was saying it, I feel like the team kind of used it as this rallying cry and they were memeing about it throughout the first half of the split. Like, Oh, you know, we can't live in the same place too long or we'll start fist fighting or everybody's toxic. And then they'd lose one game and they'd come back and smash the next one. And it's like, that wasn't real struggle. Um, 
they they essentially got a bunch of negative opinions from the community before the season, proved them wrong in the first half of the split when they started nine and one and beat Cloud Nine twice and were looking like the best team in the league. And then from there, it's like I kind of have this opinion that they thought that they were really good and that this would never be an issue and that they wouldn't have to work as hard to prove people wrong. And then that's when everyone that was doubting them at the start of the year was kind of proved right. Like they swapped out their support in their mid laner for the fast last week of the regular season. They had a few leads in games, specifically one in the mid uh, season against clutch gaming, where it's a game they should have won if it was earlier on in the season and they actually threw a lead. Um, and this is the real struggle, right? They've had an O2 week, they had a one and two week. If you count the tiebreaker loss, they had a hundred thieves just now. They nearly lost their playoff by. They did lose their number one seed. Um, but I wonder now that everyone is saying, ha ha, told you so, if they're actually going to be able to use that to get back to where they were at the start of the season. Because Cooney is the best top lane in the league. For sure. I think if Dardock's not tilted, he is the best younger in the league this split. Um, Phoenix He's not going to show up, in my opinion, on anyone's all-team ballots because he got benched at the start of the year somehow. But when he's on, he's really, really good. Um, you can beat anyone with those players. And they, sh- they showed they could at the start of the split. So I still have them as a wild card, uh, even if I'm not going to predict them to be in the finals. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, right? I think that they really do have a hard bracket. Like, they, they do have the first-round bye, but then they have TSM if TSM makes it through like I think we all expect it yeah. does. And that's just a really hard matchup. If anything, I think TSM is, like, every time TSM has ever had a behavioral issue, and, heck, you you used to play for them. Like, any time there was an issue uh, with this team, they would quickly sort that out. And I think Reggie, even though he is uh, relative to our age as well, I think he has become very much an authority figure in League of Legends, even if he's not a player. And I think that he tightens up on people when they act out of line. I think that's a really good thing for people like Mike Young, who are inexperienced and have not had that environment. P1 was a much more lax environment. And I think it's really good as well for other players who could potentially have big heads because they're great at what they do, and specifically his bot lane. Um, And he just he is an authority, and he demands that authority, even though he's an owner. And that's why he likes being involved. And that's why I think TSM's just... All that to say, I just think TSM's regimen is very strict and i think what they do to prepare for games is really good so i i totally expect them to win this quarterfinal and then meeting echo fox i I just think that's really scary for echo fox who does not have someone in that same position yeah i never actually uh played for tsm but i did play against them on on numerous occasions but i agree with you on the on the team culture and i think it does start with reggie even if this split he hasn't been as involved like uh i think bjergsen in particular uh demands hard work from all of his teammates. And that that has turned around on them a little bit at international events, I think. Like, I, I think at some times at international events, everyone is, like, too afraid to let Reggie down or let Bjergsen down in this game that it leads to this paralysis. Uh, but specifically in the case of, like, the North American LCS, it seems to be better than every other team in North America of buckling down when it matters most, finding that way to get victories against everyone else and doing it. And I hate it when people discount how hard it is to win the NALCS. Like, especially this year, when we talk about the new orgs coming in and what happened in the off season with all the 
money and competitiveness being thrown around. Like if TSM does actually come back from a struggling early on in the season, switching out three members of their roster from last year, jungle, AD carry and support, and then still winning another split. Like that is actually very impressive. Even if uh, we're just used to TSM winning and used to TSM succeeding because of Reggie, there's nine other owners and nine other teams that are trying to do the same thing and they can't. So it's definitely not easy. Yeah, apologies for the mess up. Uh, Dignitas, oh, no God, my my brain is. Uh, I feel like I'm getting old, and I shouldn't be saying that because I'm not an old person. But <laughs> I mean, TSM Jatson meme because I'm always saying the North America, you know, yeah, what TSM going to do this year at Worlds. It happens actually in commentary. Uh, I see it across a lot of sports. Whenever someone like I, I usually cast or have casted the finals in the North American LCS, and TSM has been in every single finals. And when a team is doing well you say good things about the team. So I think over time, there's definitely some people like, man, why is Jad always complimenting TSM? Yeah. Man, why, why does Jad think TSM's going to make the finals again? It's like, well, they've done it every time, so history matters. And yeah, if a team wins, I'm going to be talking positively about them uh, frequently. So uh, TSM's one of those teams. They have the history of success, so you can never count them out. So the other side of the bracket, I think, like, a lot of people conclude that 100 Thieves looks so good, they're just going to wipe it. But I still think that that, like, Cloud9 being on that side of the bracket, I, that's another team I just don't like counting out, honestly. What do you think I about agree. that side? I agree. I think Team Liquid Cloud9 100 Thieves is stacked from that side of the bracket because uh, I think too easily we see 100 Thieves in first place and remember the fact that they've won against these teams in the last half of the split. And then forget about either how close those games are or how they actually lost them the first time around. And Cloud9 and Team Liquid are two teams that are stacked with talent, much like 100 Thieves. Cloud9 has made World's quarterfinals three years in a row. Smoothie, Sneaky, and Jensen have so much clutch experience at this point. Uh, And even Svenskeren does too from TSM. It's just the rookie Licorice who's, they're going to have to make sure he doesn't have nerves, which will definitely be a problem. But I mean, Cody Sun has nerves. Someday hasn't been deep in a North American LCS playoff, even though he's a, a super good Korean player. And like, I don't think he performed amazingly last summer split when he was on Dignitas. Uh, so when I, when I was initially seeing the playoff bracket, I was like, I definitely don't want to play against cloud nine because it's Reaper in a best of five. Who's a really good coach with really smart pick bands and the roster has so much experience. So there's always that chance they completely turn it around and make a run. So there's always the argument that eliminating best of three and moving to a single game format is that it like breaks up the experience that you have of playing in a series. And I think it's oftentimes, if that is true, and I'm not saying it is or not, if that that mm-hmm. theory is true, it's usually talked about in terms of preparing North America and Europe uh, Europe for series internationally at MSI, at Worlds, etc. Uh, okay. But I think that if that theory is true, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it, if it is, like, what do you think the impact is on just playoffs alone? We haven't seen this in a while. Ah, good point. Uh, I definitely think it's different. Uh, but I also think that even if you're playing best of threes in the regular season, best of fives in the playoffs are still going to be different because you're spending the entire week to prepare for one opponent, whereas previously you're spending the week to basically prepare for two opponents. Uh, and you will get tested more in a best of five. Uh, I think it, it does give an advantage to the teams that have played more best of threes and more best of fives and been around for longer because the 
the adaptations you have to make from game to game in best of series does require practice. Uh, so that, that again, Team Liquid and Cloud9, you can't really give an advantage either way for those because those guys are stacked with players that have been around for all of it and been in many best of fives and been in many best of threes. Uh, I think uh, what's funny is when we talked about best of three apparently helping Western teams play best of fives at international events. What we forgot is that they have to win the best of ones first. <laughs> and yep. then, now they've had all this practice uh, with these high-pressure best of one games, which uh, happens. And I also think whenever we have these discussions, most of the improvements is made through scrims. Uh, and the difference between best of one, best of three, best of five is there, but it's not the main factor. Also, scrims are usually series as well. They're not often. Yeah, they, they play three-hour blocks like exactly. in practice every week. Yeah, so. they don't. They don't often just play one game against a single opponent because there's not enough opponents that you don't play in a single week to get that amount of practice. Mm-hmm. I guess that's different mm-hmm. when, uh, when we obviously see there are some teams I think that are going to stick around and practice even though they're not in playoffs. But we already see some falling apart. Like it was Zig and Lemon are basically done with Optic on at least the starting lineup, and we don't know what's going yeah. to happen with them elsewhere. But like. I imagine some of the teams are going to stick around and play, particularly seven and eight. I know the Guardians are are already had exit meetings and are going home uh, this mm-hmm. week, but I think most mm-hmm. everybody else is is going to take their time um, and might be practice partners. But I think the majority of the practice will be other side of the the bracket. So you'll have Cloud Nine and Liquid yeah. playing against TSM and Clutch and uh, obviously Echo Fox and uh, Hunter Thieves, vice versa as well. So um, yeah. and all. Also, just remember that if Clutch does beat TSM, the bracket flips because it's dynamic reseeding like in the NFL. So six will always play one. So oh, right. If, if Clutch actually beats TSM, then it does change. But I do think the bracket looks like it's probably going to play out because I think TSM is going to beat Clutch. Yeah, I think so too. And I I would be very surprised and impressed. I do think the Clutch lineup has a lot of potential, but I do think TSM has a lot of things, particularly in terms of established team culture, that make them a stronger competitor. Yeah. It's going to be really fun. Before I let you go, last question. Uh, You mentioned earlier in in the podcast about speculating about, is uh, this the best we have ever seen in North America? I don't know the answer to that question, and I'm curious, where do you think right now, before we go into MSI in May, where do you think North America stands as a region versus others? Uh, I think that they are roughly fourth. Like That's kind of where I'm going to put them, almost no matter who comes out of the NALCS. I'm expecting Fnatic to come out of Europe. And I think they have so much world experience that they're probably going to be slight favorites over NA. I think China uh, is really good this year when I look at what Invictus Gaming is doing and basically just 2 owing every single opponent. And I'm, I'm a little hesitant on that because they did expand to 14 teams, so the quality of some of their opponents has gotten worse since last year. And then I look at Kingzone Dragon X, and I think they're unanimously the best team in the world in the LCK. That's former Longju. So... I think they're about fourth. I think so. it's really, really interesting with China and uh, Longju, right? Because both of them, China as a region has always uh, had like the the fluke, I guess, uh, domestically, and they look great domestically, and then they show up at Worlds, and it's all over. Um, but yeah, <laughs> and then the same thing happened with Longju last year. They like didn't even make it out of groups, and that's uh, kind of nuts to me. So, um, yeah, thank you for what joining you me. Think? Huh? Oh, sorry, what, what do you think for NA? 
What do I think for if, NA? If a team makes it out of MSI, are they going to make it out of groups, or is they going to lose to whoever the LMS or you know, since MSI is a 13 region tournament now, can they be top four? I think they can be top four. I usually like to, and and this is like as I pick like fantasy brackets and things like this. I usually tend to overrate the LMS. Um, I did that last year uh, when we were looking at, like worlds pick them. Um, I always think that the top team out of LMS is usually pretty good, um, and I think LMS is definitely re- needs to be respected as a region. Obviously, that top team has changed. Like Flash Wolves is not the same Flash Wolves it's been in the last couple of yeah. years. Like the it's it's got the shakeup as well as you saw some of its players go to the LPL. Um, but I don't know. I I, I want to say that like NA is top four, but I don't know who is better than them like i think one is definitely mm-hmm. korea but i don't know about two and three i think two, yeah. two or three could be lms or or lpl or uh europe as well i'm not necessarily sure who is better than na but i do think that like 100 thieves and tsm are both very good contenders for the international uh the international scale whereas i think we haven't necessarily had that with teams of the past so right because Hunter Thieves has the experience of Aphromu. I mean, even Cody Sun was there last year, reused, but plenty of world's experience. So there's a chance they could actually do well internationally, which would be cool to see. Yeah, I'm very excited for, for MSI, and I'm, I'm hoping to go, but I don't know yet. So uh, I'm very excited to kind of see what comes out of that tournament and where we can assess, because a lot of changes have happened in every yeah. single region, and really except for Korea, and name changes have happened, but the league is still much of the same. But the LPL, the yep. ULCS... Uh, the LMS and North America have all very much changed in the way they are formatted and the way they look from team to team. So, um, and we can thank the LPL and the NALCS for that for taking their players. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for coming on to the podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, yeah, we will definitely have you back on in the future if you're if you're game. All right. Thanks, Jacob. This was fun. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Thank you once again to Jeff for joining us. Really great conversation, as always. Really appreciate having people from Riot on the podcast. They're, they're very insightful talking about their own league, particularly people who have worked for them for a very long time. I appreciated Jad's insight. Again, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, if you missed all of our podcasts from South by Southwest or GDC, you can find them in the same feed as what you're listening to this in. And otherwise, we will be back next week. Should be Rachel and I because we'll both be in office. So subscribe and keep listening to us. We will be back next week. Thank you for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast. See you later. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast. For more great 